0: Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. How Human Rights Education Can Change a Population's Health Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Global Health, I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and my guest today is Molly Melching, founder and executive director of Toast Hand. She's also won the Sergeant Schreiber Distinguished Service for Humanitarian Service and recently the Conrad Hilton Humanitarian Prize. Thank you very much for joining us today. Why well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. To begin with, Molly, could you tell me what is Toast Hand?
1: Toast Hand is a non-governmental organization which I founded in 1991 along with a team of Senegalese colleagues. It had actually been in existence before because we had been doing educational work before that, but we made it official in 1991. It is a 501c3 organization with headquarters in Senegal, actually, and a small office in Washington, D.C. And Tostan has offices in seven African countries at present. We've extended greatly in the past year.
0: And I know you went from the University of Illinois initially to Senegal with some purpose in mind, I am sure, which it sounds like it was educational. Could you tell me how this all began going all the way back to 74, and I know you were in the Peace Corps in 76, how this all evolved?
1: Well, I actually only went for six months, got off the plane, looked around and said, well, wow, I like it here. <laughs> I liked it from the very beginning and decided that I probably would be there longer than just six months. and. Attended the University of Illinois. I had wonderful professors. I went ahead and did a master's degree in African Studies at the University of Dakar, which is now the University Sher-Antojop. And I was able to study with uh, wonderful Professor Sher-Antojop, for whom the university is now named, and also really started working with children in a big way. I thought how sad it was that the children didn't have books to read, and their own traditions were not given value. And I saw so many kids in the street who weren't going to school, so I started a a children's center. And after I started the center, I thought, well, I better stay on for a while and keep on with this work, and got in the Peace Corps. So I was at the university for two years, then started the Children's Center and came back through the Peace Corps on an individual placement, was in the Children's Center for three years with the Peace Corps and didn't really want to stop the Children's Center, so I got a grant from the Spencer Foundation from Chicago to continue on with work in the Children's Center. And by that time, we'd started a radio program, and we had begun realizing that by using traditions, the stories, the proverbs, the theater of the people, the African traditions, that we were getting a big audience on the radio, and we're getting, we were getting a wonderful response from the children in the center. So we started putting health messages in the stories and songs. And we even got a a greater response then and thought, wow, this is very powerful. It was after that that we actually went to a village and where the traditions come from. Many of the traditions are now being lost in the big cities like Dakar. So we went to a very small community of only 300 people. And then I lived in that village for three years, not with the Peace Corps this time, but on a special project for working with villagers using African traditions for educational purposes and it was at that time that with the villagers we came up with a basic education program in national languages really adapted to their needs and realities.
0: French is spoken in Senegal but it sounds like you got away from that, that the messages you gave were more appropriately given in their national language and I think Tostan I don't speak French, but it doesn't sound like a French word. No, it's a Wolof word. and A Wolof, and that is their national language. Right. And what does it mean?
1: It means breakthrough, but it also means the hatching of an egg. So it means then the egg that hatches and the hen that comes out and, and has other eggs. and So it really means the spread and the spread of knowledge in this case. When people learn in their own language... They get new information, and they are able to share it with others because it's in their own language and using methods and an approach with which they're familiar—the stories, the songs, the theater, things they feel really comfortable with. So it's easy for them to share it with others, and that's the idea behind Toastan.
0: So did the community embrace Toastan? I mean, did this some, Especially the women and children—did they embrace this, and did they take it upon themselves to spread the message, whatever that might have been?
1: When we first started. We were in the village and we actually created the program in collaboration with the, the people themselves. I'll give you an example. We immediately started realizing as we lived in the village that one of the biggest problems was health. The nearest health center was at least 10 kilometers away. And as we started working with people, we realized that they really could start their own little health center in the community. But they needed other information. They needed to have information on diarrhea, on vaccinations. They needed to have management skills because you have to manage a health center. You're getting in medicine and you're having people come in, and so you have to renew those stocks of medicine, and you have to figure out which people are coming in every day. So it was really important for us. We started realizing how important it was to have a comprehensive program so that it wasn't just coming in and giving health information But it was a whole series of of information that people needed, such as problem-solving information, yes, on health, but also management skills. And that's how we started coming up with a whole program that was a holistic program, a comprehensive program that would go beyond just targeting one area or even one theme, which I think has been a mistake in development
0: up to this point. Once you got into this health program that you're talking about, was there a conflict as far as the culture that had existed there for thousands of years?
1: We actually started working on health, and while we were dealing with issues such as diarrhea and vaccinations, we had no problems because people were just thrilled to get this information that they needed. I can give you an example. People were believing at that point in the village that when a child had a a soft spot that was sunken, like a baby had the sunken soft spot, they thought that there was bad spirits that had come and grabbed hold of their baby and they had to take it to a the, the religious leader, the marabou, to do special prayers or to put amulets on the baby or even to put them up on the side of the, the roof. To uh, One woman told me she was told to put her amulets up on the roof to, in order to, to cure the baby's sunken so the soft spot you know, and the fontanelle. And just they're getting information on diarrhea and dehydration and what happens in the signs and symptoms led them to being able to make the oral rehydration therapy, which was so easy to make, very cheap, to organize and be able to have that material available, you know, the salt, the sugar, and the water available at all times so that it was readily available for people. They didn't have to go off to the market to look for the ingredients. It was enormous for them because that's a huge problem, diarrhea and dehydration in Senegal. So that was no problem. But as we started working on other issues, we started doing participatory research uh, looking into women's health. And one of the subjects that kept coming up in our discussions with women was the practice of female genital cutting. And also for young girls, it was the problems related to childbirth at age 12, 13, 14 years old. And we started realizing that we were going, we were dealing with issues that were deeply entrenched In the culture, these were social norms that were very difficult for people to even discuss because they were so taboo and had been taboo for so long that it was going to be very difficult to deal with these subjects.
0: Did they associate infection, hemorrhage, fever, even death in female genital cutting?
1: No, because a woman is cut when she often is a baby or in some, it depends on the ethnic group, but in some ethnic groups, they're six or seven, eight or nine, and they don't really remember that when it happens to a a girl. I mean, we've had cases of girls who've had tetanus from being cut and the father thought it was malaria when she got a fever, and would treat the child for malaria when it was really tetanus. And by the time they realized it was something else, it was too late. And I've had numerous instances where the father has, particularly in one case, told me that the daughter died before he realized that it was related even to the female genital cutting. And he said to me, how could I possibly have known? Because I never learned about germs before. It was in the on class that I finally understood what really happened to my daughter. She was cut and she was infected at that time. And then later got the symptoms of tetanus. And when I saw the fever, I thought it was, which is most common in Senegal. So learning this and understanding, but again, the most important aspect of abandonment of female genital cutting, I must say, as we talked to the women, we realized that they did not have the right to speak out and talk about, they thought they didn't have the right. So we started realizing that for a lot of health issues, we needed to start our program on health with human rights education. Some people didn't, especially women, didn't even realize they had the right to go to the health center. They didn't realize they had the right to discuss health issues in the community with their husbands and with other community members because they were not included in many of the decision-making instances of the village. They found out that they had the right to express their opinion, their right to participate in all these decisions, and it totally changed the way they lived in the, in the village from that point on because they started negotiating with the men and saying, we understand now our rights. And again, I always say we, one of the biggest mistakes we made at Tostan was to begin our program on women's health with women's rights. That was a mistake. We realized that just doing women's health, you can imagine what the reaction would be if you just do women's health. You can imagine who the reaction came from the men, who actually went and closed some of the centers saying, wait a minute, what are these women learning? What is this all about? So we sat down in 2000 and we rewrote our whole program. We put human rights, people's rights, everybody's rights, men, women, and children together as the very foundation of our whole education program. And once we started teaching men their rights too, suddenly they became very interested and very involved and very supportive.
0: Today we've been talking to Molly Melching, and I want to thank her very much. She's the founder and executive director of Tostan, an organization that is teaching human rights and education to people in Senegal. This has represented a special segment focused on health. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio today.